podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Leeds Up podcast. I'm James and I'm with Rocco Dean. Hello. Oh, why do we always meet like this? <laughs> Crushing defeats. This one, Bournemouth 4-1 away, absolutely awful. Yeah, before we go into it, special thanks to bassandbly.com for sponsoring the podcast. The Yorkshire's premier optics retailer. They sell all sorts of wicked and wonderful stuff, Rocco. They do, binoculars, cameras. They actually once sold Leeds United, my my Bielsa versus the Damned United book. They're out of stock at the moment, but I'll, re, I'll re, restock them. Potential customers. Anyway, this isn't about me. It's about Justin and Bass and Blind. How fantastic they are! It always comes back to your bloody books, doesn't it? And yeah, today has been oh, just one of them Leeds United days that's now part of our history. Yep, it is. This one will be remembered, I think, as the moment we all knew the sad truth. I don't think there's anything any coming back from this. We are completely shot pathetic you know have he's tried something different properly different um he's played nyonto obviously he got a, a magnificent assist but the problems are so deep that there's there's nothing that any manager could do so you know we're just just completely gone aren't we by the looks of it nyonto we have yeah we start we started off well as like we tend to do and we were really going at them and it looked promising and then the gaps start appearing in midfield. Bournemouth played long balls over the top. Their first goal, McKenney just picked up the wrong man. I think two of them went for the same player. Wide open, good finish, top right corner. Here we go. Heads drop after that first goal. And it's just the the, the start of the descendancy, really. And it's it's, it's just tiring. It's, it's like It must be tiring for everyone in the club. Very tiring for the fans. And it's... It's just a horrible, dirty mess at the minute. Everyone is, well, the club, the players and the fans are just, I've never seen it, well, I have seen it divided, but I've not seen it this divided in such a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's, today, like you say, we did start well, could have had the penalty and, and, you know, all that nonsense. But, you know, I, I was enjoying the first 10 minutes. I was thinking this is looking good, but we've seen it all season. And, you know, Marsh was like clung onto his job because of this, you know, we, we have these good spells and you, you, but it doesn't make you a good team. You know, we, teams don't have to do anything to beat us. Bournemouth did nothing today. How have they won that game 4-1? How could we ever win a game 4-1 with doing so little? It's just criminal, you know, and, and they just they just fold like a pack of cards. And it, I can't even particularly put my foot finger on exactly like where it fell apart so badly. It's just, just the whole team is just crap, aren't they, basically? But yeah, I saw a, someone had videoed from the stand at the game today and there was like a wider view of the pitch and just like the movement of the players and they were trying to string a three passes together and then lost the ball. But you just you could just see like all the other players in the team just were nowhere near the ball. Like no one, just no one looks interested. And I don't know whether it, it, it is being harsh by saying they don't look interested and, you know, they're just not trying. Or is it a tactical thing? Like I just, just don't know. And but I don't, I've never seen the wheels fall off so badly after, after you know, after the Palace equaliser. Basically, it's all just 
cascaded. It's awful. Yeah, I, it's true, isn't it? I mean, I, I do wonder, like, I thought putting a man in front, I know he's gone three at the back today, but I still think, you know, if we'd have had a third midfielder, I just think it, like, changes the dynamic, the shape of the team. You know, I think, apart from defensively, I think, you know, just having that sort of those triangles between defence and midfield helps you. It gives you more options on the ball as well, I think, in my head anyway. I don't know. In reality, maybe it wouldn't make any difference at all. But yeah, yeah, the drop-off's just just pretty shambolic. And I mean, I, you know, I, like I watched a video just now of the, the fans in the aftermath. We might get onto it, you know, hammering the players at the final whistle. And I felt uncomfortable watching it still. Like, I don't, I, I don't know, like... I, I've seen what Leeds teams putting in less effort, I think. But again, I don't know. Maybe if I was at the game, I'd feel feel differently. But I don't know. It, it's just it's just a whole sorry mess. I mean, I just just blame. I just want to blame Radrizani. You know, even Orta, like all the chance for Orta out. Why is that Radrizani getting off the hook? He's the one that kept Orta. It's like you know, people say you can't slam Bamford because it's not his fault. You could say that about Orta. Like, why is he in the job? He shouldn't be in the job. Like, it should have been someone else. And that's Radrizani's failing. But yeah, absolutely. I'm a auto two anyway. I see that Rads has been messaging a fan today <laughs> in the DMs, and I don't have it to hand what he said, but he basically is sad like the rest of us as well. But that that sums him up as well. You know, what is with the kind of unprofessional outlets and random DMs to people? And it goes back to Victor Orta, bookended by this game, actually, where he was shushing the fans at the final whistle when we beat Bournemouth. And it's just the way they treat and talk to us is just bizarre. And I don't, I know we go on about it, but it does all come back to they don't know how lucky they were in what they had. And, and everything has been exposed since that point, really. Yeah. I think I said a few weeks ago, if like, if we stay up, then, you know, all's forgiven sort of thing in terms of Radrizani and Orta. But since then, you know, I, I don't feel like that whatsoever now. I think that was just before the Augustine thing. And, and for me, that was the final straw. And I think I would feel better if Radrizani came out and gave a public apology, you know, like a, a comprehensive apology for how horrendously he's messed up. It'd make me feel better. But nevertheless, like, I do not want him anywhere near this club. He's proven that he can't make decisions. Like, yes, Sakot, but then what people want Radrizani to pick the next guy like it, absolutely not he he has to go and and I, I think there'll be a, a an atmosphere around the club until he's gone like it, it's got so toxic now and 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 I do feel for him in a way and I'm sure he is really hurting he's probably going through a, a horrendous time but come out and, and apologize and own up to your mistakes you know this this DM thing I, I don't know it's, it's probably real I guess but it yeah like you say it's just typical of him really doing doing something like that when it when it comes to Orta, like was the writing kind of always on the wall? Because we had you know, this was sort of what happened at Middlesbrough as well, you know. And and I think their fans sort of warned for a long time. Is it just a and Dara Cunningham obviously messages us a lot. And he's he's definitely not in the pro Orta camp. But it but but was this inevitable? Were we always going to get to this point? Well, I, I guess so because you know he's proven that he's incapable. So so yes. I think a lot of, obviously, you, you know, you look at his very first summer and, and you know, that was poor as well. You know, all the Bielsa players, the vast majority, were actually signed before Orta even came, you know, Cooper, Ailing, and, and Pontus. But yeah, so he's, you know, he's brought in people like Alioski, but even Alioski, you know, I mean, he would have been a, he was a disaster of a signing until Bielsa made use of his energy, basically. You know, he didn't have an end product still. He was still made defensive errors. 
Yeah, you know, he, he's just not good at his job. He's not good at picking players. And and honestly, I'd love to know. I would love to know if we actually have scouts or whether we actually just look at, well, we've got data analysts and look at data. I I, I refuse to believe they've scouted some of these players that we've bought. I think they've just looked at data sheets and thought, okay, right, this guy will probably fit in because it's just it's just unfathomable. I, I don't understand you know, how, how you could get so many signings so badly wrong. It's, it's things like Mark Rocker and Junior Furpo. They're the sort of signings where you need someone to eke that bit more out of them and get them up to that level again. And they didn't. We didn't have a coach, to, <laughs> the right coach, to do that. So it's it felt you know in the old ways of having Bielsa, you know, you would fully trust having. I know Furpo saw a bit of Bielsa, but and he, and he was injured and COVID and stuff, but. There wasn't enough time under a proper, proper coach who is designed or has designed himself to just maximise the potential of players. And I think that's it as well. You know, when you look at Ruta as well, he, he would he's the sort of player that under a coach like Bielsa, you can tell would go to the next level. But we don't have that. So the, the planning is completely out of sync for me. Yeah, yeah. The, the players have been set up to fail and maybe that's partly why I, I, I still feel sorry for them, really. Yeah, you, you, even last summer, you know, we didn't have any coaches. We had Marsh, and we we didn't have any coaches. I mean, it, it was so weird. You know, we we spoke about it. It was almost like the Chilino day, and you know, yeah, just in general, getting rid of Bielsa and his team, and, and getting in Marsh and and you know, Toshak and these guys that have, you know worked at universities, and you know, not just yeah, just just not expert in the field. I just can't believe that it, that we allowed that to happen. Really. It sets such a, a bad tone and, and I always wondered what the players must think going from from one thing to that and it's, yeah, none of them have improved. I mean, even Melier now, goalkeeper, I think it's probably more mental, but, you know, he, he just looks gone as well now. You know, he, even I'd probably drop, well, I, in fact, I'd, I'd definitely drop him for Man City because I'd feel sorry for him having to face. So, yeah, just put, put Robles in there, let him take one for the team. When you go back to the point in time of Bielsa leaving I do I do think like we we often look back with rose-tinted glasses because we obviously look at the the time we won the championship and came up and obviously that first season and the cards did start to come down and the players did look completely spent you know and they were we were hemorrhaging goals against good sides at the time obviously but I think it's that that whole thing from that that time period is is leads to where we are now because it was more a case of everyone going the separate ways, just sacking Bielsa or, you know, if Bielsa had have left or whatever. I just, it frustrates me that they didn't just come together. Like, you know, in a, in a, a point of a crisis, like anywhere else, people come together, don't they? And they, and they sort of work out, well, what the hell are we going to do? And it was such a bad cocktail. Bielsa as well, I think, to a degree that, you know, that he was kind of set in his ways and that was his philosophy and he'd only signed one year deals. But, it really frustrates me that had we have tried to come up with a plan rather than sort of going behind the back of Bielsa and trying to get in Marsh as a succession plan, which is obviously just a bad plan in itself, that things could have been different. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I obviously I have to now talk about a book again, but you know, I have I have wrote the the. Yeah. Bielsa versus the Premier League, and and it and it really helps me, you know, because obviously I've I've I've, not, I've wrote that and I've gone over it a hundred times, so I know what happened quite well, and and definitely, you know, last season was poor, you know, even with Phillips in the side in the early weeks of the season, 
you know, we weren't playing well. It wasn't clicking. There was something, something not the same. You know, it wasn't at all scintillating. So something was wrong. And I, I, I sort of half wonder whether people at the club got wind of the fact that they were talking about replacing him and maybe maybe the players, you know, took took their eye off the ball if there were, you know, if there were rumours that they weren't going to have to do Bielsa ball for much longer. Or maybe everyone just got complacent, you know, and just thought that, you know, they didn't need to work as hard anymore. I, I, I just don't know. But something something went badly wrong, like you say, at the point where it became a crisis. Yeah, that's the point where you want everyone to come together, stick together, and especially with the players that we had coming back. But it's just, yeah, like you say, it, it, it's, I mean, they got they got through that. They were lucky to get through last season. So, you know, you you could just say maybe the maybe the mistakes started from the summer, you know, not knowing what would have happened if Bielsa just said, I've got my opinion, but it's just an opinion. But from the summer, it's absolutely inexcusable, the transfer activity. Their arrogance in selling Phillips and, and Rafinha for so cheap, like they didn't think they needed to get as much money as possible because they just thought these players that were going to get in were going to be fine. It just stinks. They just they've just messed up so badly. And uh, the Leeds United Supporters Advisory Board have issued a vote of no confidence after the Bournemouth mm. defeat as well. So I presume the panel of the Supporters Advisory Board they come from the Leeds United Supporters Trust and they're sort of selected as the main communication and bridge between the fans and the club. I'm guessing. So it's quite interesting that so quickly after that game, that statement has come out. Yeah, I think it's a bit weird, to be honest. I think it's a bit pointless. <laughs> I don't know whether they'll regret doing it, really. You know, it's it's basically a vote of no confidence in the team. They're demanding a, a change of manager and the person that picks the manager. But there's four games to go. Like, you know, what? what uh, yeah, I mean, fair enough. I mean, we might as well probably change manager and, and hope that it, it does something. But you know, we'd probably do that anyway, you know, to, to release a statement like that at this point in the season where, you know, I take from that that, you know, they basically have no faith in the players and, and you know, we're going down, which probably is the case. And, and, and being that being as it is, like, why not just wait till the end of the season and then, you know, demand that Radrizani goes and everyone goes. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm being unfair. I don't know. What, what do you think? Did you, did you like reading it? <laughs> I did read all of it. It's yeah, it is the sort of thing that you would think you would hear at the end of a season. Like the season, from the point of of for me anyway, from the point of getting Javi Grazia was cast, you know, and it's like you can't do anything beyond that. And yeah, pulling Javi Grazia out and sacking him, maybe it's the right thing to do, but that just feels like absolute desperation, and it just points so much attention to the board and really makes us look. Well, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for the whole club for at this point where you think we're four or five games away from the end of the season that we're thinking of getting another manager or having a standing. It's like, yeah, it's it's not good at all. And I think the writing's on the wall for us. There's like plenty of people out there who are still optimistic, feel like the clubs below us might not necessarily get many points, but it only takes like one win and it changes everything down there. So I can't, just can't, I cannot see us staying up and I hate being negative. The last few weeks I've felt it and mainly because things have just been getting worse. You know, when we've been watching the team, they have just been getting worse and Leicester, we clawed something out of that game and we did play okay, but Leicester weren't great. And I think that's the worst thing is that from the Palace halftime, again, we've just 
continue to descend into chaos and it's yeah i don't know how anyone could salvage it to be honest so i think yeah it's back to the back to the championship yeah i, I think i think have settled on on a team i think after that forest game i think he he decided that you know push comes to shove that team will keep us up and you know we were of the same opinion at the time you know i remember us saying you know we've we've got enough players in there to to get enough performances to 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 get enough points God knows if anything happened at, against Palace in, at halftime. Who who knows? I, I I still struggle to believe it. To be fair, I just I just think the players have sort of yeah just just collapsed at the worst possible worst possible time. But it's horrible to see. I, yeah, God, it's. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to expect against. Well, no, sorry, I know exactly what to expect against Man City, but it's just going to be so painful to watch. Ah, God, I don't know. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go. I'm lost. What about Happy? What did you think about the team when it came out and and the formation? I know you said that you we it started well, but what did you think beforehand? I kind of got what he was doing because he was thinking, oh well, if I could push up, well if I could have like wing backs defending well and supporting in midfield, then that could work. But again, though, it's it's like you said, why not just put a third man in midfield rather than having to rely on Luke Ayling possibly supporting in on the right hand side of midfield. It's like he's not a midfielder if he if he's pushing up. Because cause there's times where he was pushed up into the like the right hand side of midfield and you just thought, this, like this isn't right. Like if Forshaw's there, why not just try and get him on and yeah. shift him, Rocker and McKenney around. But I don't know. I think it's more the fact that and and I mentioned this earlier when we had a quick chat on spaces on Twitter and I think you know when 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 we interviewed Calvin Phillips, he said that Leeds United, we always go out and we play in a good way. We we figure out how the other team is set up. We make some adjustments and then off we go. And that's so true. Like I remember the first 10 minutes always felt like we were letting the team have a bit more possession and then we would absolutely smother them once we knew what they were up to. And that always stuck with me. And I think from everyone since that point, Marsh included, we've come out started off well played well for the first 15 minutes then just disappeared and it's that lack of adjustment i don't know whether it's like lack of tactical knowledge or just not thinking that it's worth changing but it just doesn't happen it happened today it happened against leicester it happened at palace it happened at fulham it's it's like inexcusable that and I, and i and i get the frustration towards Kratzia because that is something that is clearly missing just direction of for the team and the players must be frustrated with that as well because they know that they get they're not idiots they know they get an overrun and need they know something needs to change but it just doesn't yeah uh, i was surprised that Furpo didn't play left wing back but i don't think it made any difference on yonto he had his he had his thigh strapped off that was interesting so maybe maybe he hasn't been playing because because he, he has been carrying a knock yeah, quite possibly. We haven't even talked about that the the goal, but yeah, it was a great cross by him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was an absolute peach, and pretty decent header from Bamford as well. Finished it, didn't he? He did. He did. I was, Clinical. I, I was quite surprised that Rodrigo didn't start. To be fair, only, only from the point of view that he had a really good game uh, in the Leicester match. We we both gave him out of the match. But also, he's our top goal scorer this season, and and you. When you have Bamford missing sitters like he did last week, you think maybe you should have got a run? I think there's been a couple of times where Grazia has mentioned that he is like carrying a, an injury and I wonder whether he didn't want him to start two games in a week and, and just thought he'd be better off coming off the bench. I can only put it down to that because, yeah, I, I, I don't think he'd have dropped him otherwise. 
And if we had, but mind you, if you wanted to change to, to the three four three formation, then then yeah, maybe that's a simple reason why Rodrigo didn't fit in. Yeah. What else we need to cover off? You're off Man, on holiday tomorrow. I'm off on holiday. Yeah, actual holiday, not not a working holiday. Off to book, Switzerland. Not a book tour. No books. I'm on strict instructions from the wife. No football. No books. That's that's fine by me. Yeah, that sounds good. How are you, James? You've been unwell today. Oh, I've been We're... so. I've been ill. Yeah, I've got like. I think I've got like sinusitis or something. I'm on. I'm having loads of tablets and stuff. I feel drowsy as anything, and the football has not helped. We were going to watch the match together for the first time in our lives, and I'm glad we didn't. It deserves a better <laughs> occasion than that. Yeah, man of the match. I'm trying to think of a clever answer. Oh, I'll give it to Nyonto for his wonderful assist. Yeah, exactly. Borshaw, uh, did he? Borshaw looked all right at times. Yeah, he did. He, he looked all right. There was a time where he sort of pirouetted on the ball and didn't know who to give it to, which is a bit like what Rocco was doing. It made me think, hmm, we've been giving Rocco quite a lot of stick, haven't we? But Borshaw doesn't know who to pass it to as well. Maybe there's, maybe there's something going on tactically that, that they're not sure of. But yeah, nice to see him. Good that he's alive. Yeah, and Dallas cheerleading from the side. Yeah, I liked that Dallas was there. I mean, it was exactly a year to the day as well, wasn't it, that he broke yeah. his leg against Man City. Maybe he's thinking of coming on at the weekend against Man City. To... Break Grealish's uh, leg. Onto that, Man City, I didn't give him another match. I skirted past it. But yeah, Man City away, absolute horrendous fixture at the worst possible time. And we, like joking aside, it could go double figures. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I think if Man City try, that's that's the the one thing that's going to save us is like against Leicester, they were three 0 up after ten minutes and they literally stopped trying completely. Um, and they must have a European game coming up after the game with us. I'm pretty sure they do. So yeah, that's that's the one thing that's that's probably going to stop us conceding an absolute avalanche. But I would be interested to to look at the odds for yeah, like a, a eight or nine niller because I do remember when we played Liverpool at Anfield, Bielsa's penultimate game, the odds were the same for Leeds to win as they were for Liverpool to win six nil. So I think like it must be like same for Leeds to win and probably eight eight nil against City. I imagine. So I'll have a look and, and have a bet on that. See how we get on. Oh dear. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that at all. I don't think anyone is. And let's just see what happens. It, yeah, get through it. Just get through it. Yeah. And what's happening in the meantime? A Leicester playing Everton tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Leicester Everton tomorrow. So I think we want Leicester to win. I think we've got to just decide <laughs> who we want to who we want to not collect any more points and I think that's got to be Everton and, and Forest. I think Leicester will probably have enough so I'm behind Leicester let them get the three points and hope that yeah Forest and Everton lose all their games and we don't lose by a ridiculous score to City we might just stay up on goal difference God yeah we'll see that's uh, what it's going for yeah it's depressing that we have to think about football at Leeds United in that way. But here we are. Anything else? Nah. Predictions. No point going on that. Just no. lose, lose, lose. I'm going to win that because I said we would, we would get 30. I think I said 39 points and I was the most pessimistic. So I'm awarding myself that already. Well done. Uh, Bournemouth hit that milestone today with four games to go. Level with Chelsea. Incredible, isn't it? That is bonkers. What we're going to do is we're going to play a song on the way out. But we heard from 
the Utopiates, and they were formed in lockdown. And the debut album, The Sun Also Rises, is out on the 5th of May. They're signed to V2 Records, which I think is a subsidiary of Virgin Records. And this track's called Ups and Downs. This Dan, the singer-songwriter, is inspired by Leeds, and he wants people to know that we will be up on the up. And the band are playing at the Broodnell on the 12th of May. Tickets are still available, but they are selling quite fast. So, yeah, go along to that. That'll, that'll cheer you up. Broodnell Social Club on the 12th of May. And, uh, yeah, here's Ups and Downs. And we'll see you next time.
Sports Social Podcast Network.